The following is a message from Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. I have the pleasure of my son-in-law, Brian, coming to bring us the word. Thanks, Brian. It's always good to hear your father-in-law speak well of you, right? Uh, Let's read uh, the word of the Lord as given to Isaiah uh, from the chapter 61 of Isaiah. We'll be reading verses 1 through 3. If you'd like to follow along. This is our sermon text for today. Again, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of, instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks, of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is the reading of God's word, and it is for our good. Let me pray uh, before we expound upon God's word. (coughs) Father God, I thank you uh, for this privilege to be able to get up and talk about things that you have written, the fact that you have ordained that flawed men could get up and talk about the things that you have said, and that that is indeed the way that you have ordained that your word would go forward. I pray that you would get me out of the way this morning, uh, that your word would shine through, uh, that you would be glorified in the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, we see in this text, we see promise. We see a promise. It's spoken by, uh, in Isaiah's terminology, I wanted to wait for that to go away, in Isaiah's terminology, the servant, right? We had heard earlier that uh, we're going to be talking about how the servant is, is Jesus. And these are Jesus' words to his people, written 700 years before Jesus would be born incarnate on earth. There's promises, though. Have you ever had to wait a long time for a promise to be fulfilled? 
Have you ever experienced that? I think we've all experienced in our lives some time where a promise was made to us and we had to wait, right? We had to wait for that promise to come to fruition. Uh, I've been telling over the last couple of times that I've preached stories of when I was a little kid, so I thought, why not? Let's do it again, right? Um, They're fun stories, uh, I think, and I think people are going to be able to relate to this one as well. Uh, But I was young boy, probably, I started school late, so I was probably six or around six years old. I was in first grade, I remember that. Uh, and we were going on a field trip. We were going on a field trip to, at the time, they called it Computo's Pond. I don't know if it's still called that uh, in Hudson Falls. So I went to Dix Avenue Elementary School. And the cool thing about this field trip was that we were able to invite our parents to come along and to come with us. And, of course, I wanted my dad to be there. It was going to be fishing and outdoorsy stuff. And I was like, this is going to be great. My dad's going to be there. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And I invited him. He said he would come. So I had a promise, right, that he's going to be there. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be the best day ever. And we get to that day, and I'm sitting in, uh, we're actually underneath. I remember we were, like, under the bus. This is a very vivid memory for me for some reason. But we're under, you know, where the buses come in and drop off the kids, and, you know, people's parents start to show up. One parent shows up. I wait, you know, probably, it was probably five minutes, but it feels like an eternity as a kid. But, you know, you you wait five minutes, somebody else's parent shows up. You wait another five minutes, and it's getting closer to the time when we're about to leave. Another parent shows up. My dad's not quite there yet, and I'm getting worried. I'm getting worried. Not because my dad didn't keep his promises. He was, he was pretty good at keeping his promises. But as any five-year-old or six-year-old would, right, when, when dad's promised to be someplace and it's getting close to that time, you start to get concerned. And my mind, even then, ran wild. Like, did something happen to him? Is he, is he not going to make it? Uh, did he forget? You know, I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, you know, another, another five minutes goes by and I start bawling. I start crying. I was, I, was, I was emotional even then, right? But I'm, I'm just like, where is he? Is he going to show up? You know? <laughs> and uh, sure enough, uh, eventually I hear his voice. I hear his voice. I'm, see, I'm emotional even now. <laughs> but like, it's cool when, when things like that happen and somebody, somebody fulfills the promise, right? But my heart was aching because I wasn't sure if it was actually going to happen. But then he showed up. And, and not only did he show up, but it was the coolest day ever. It was really awesome. My dad was the cool dad, right? He went up, he baited people's hooks for fishing. He would take the, the fish off of the hook for him when it got stuck. He was just like the coolest dad there, right? So it exceeded, well exceeded my expectations when that promise was actually fulfilled. Well, in our passage today, God, Yahweh, in the form of the servant, makes a promise to Israel. And it wouldn't be five minutes, it wouldn't be 10 minutes, 15, or 20 minutes. It would be more than 700 years before that promise was fulfilled. And much like when my dad showed up and I heard his voice, It was not going to be disappointing for Israel. It would exceed 
their expectations as well. In our verse, we see the speaker says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The anointing or anointing is a process generally by which oil, perfume, or water sometimes is poured out on the recipient and it acknowledges or gives the person a task or prepares them and gives them a title, an office, or an authority to do something in the world. Kings, priests, and prophets are all good examples in the Old Testament and the scriptures of people who were anointed for a task, a service, or an office. Some evangelical traditions still do this today, right? With missionaries, elders, pastors, for spiritual work in the church. But this anointing is looking forward. It's looking forward to a different type of anointing that would take place in the future. And we're going to quickly see that this is the anointing of Jesus Christ. We read in Matthew chapter 3, if you want to follow along, starting in verse 16, it reads this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism is unlike our baptism, right? It's not the same. We, we talked about this in, when, we, when we studied Mark this past spring, and we came to the parallel passage in Mark as well. Jesus isn't getting baptized for repentance from sins because Jesus, of course, has no sins. But Jesus' baptism is one that affirms and anoints him as a prophet, priest, and king. We have this confirmed for us by Luke, uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, actually, it's, it's by Peter as recorded by Luke, right? But Peter is preaching in Acts 10. Again, if you want to follow along, we'll be kind of flipping through different portions of Scripture today because there's a lot packed into three verses in Isaiah. But in chapter 10 of Acts, starting in verse 36, we read this. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And as we continue, you're going to see the parallels between Isaiah 61 here in Acts. And we are witnesses... Or I'm sorry, let me back up. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made, and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify 
that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So we see both that Jesus in his baptism is anointed to be prophet, priest, and king, but that anointing leads to something. It leads to his ministry and what he's going to do as he moves forward in his ministry. This connection between anointing of Jesus and baptism is going to come back up later as we talk through this. So keep this kind of in the back of your mind. Jesus' baptism is equated with his anointing as prophet, priest, and king. But there's another curious thing about this passage. It's quoted later on in scriptures as well, and it's quoted by Jesus. And it's quoted at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus identifies himself as the servant here in Isaiah. Again, if you'd like to follow along, Luke chapter 4, in verse 16. Scriptures say this, And he came to Nazareth, where, it had been, uh, where he had been brought up, and, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is the cool part. I love this part. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is a bold statement by Jesus. You know, we we look back in hindsight, right, and we readily identify Jesus as the Messiah. We readily identify Jesus as one of the members of the Trinity, as Yahweh himself. But that's not what was happening in their time. They couldn't see clearly what we see clearly And so they would have looked at this as an incredibly bold statement by Jesus. You may have noticed that the quote is a little different, and that's mostly because Jesus is quoting the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, but also because the Hebrew kind of allows for two different uh, interpretations of the idea of opening of the prison can also kind of be translated as, or can be translated, I've got to get clear up my language there. It can be translated as healing of the blind as well. So Jesus kind of incorporates both of those ideas into his quotation of the text. And then Jesus expands upon it later in Luke, in chapter 7 as well, in verse 22. Listen to the words of Jesus in response to John the Baptist sending a messenger and asking if Jesus, he basically asked Jesus, are you, are you who you say you are? Or should we look to another? He's asking him, are you actually the Messiah? 
And Jesus' answer, expanding upon that Isaiah 61 promise, he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says this to a man who is about to lose his head for his faith. So it is not just a bold proclamation, although it is a bold proclamation, but it it yields tremendous results as Jesus talks about here. Did did, Did Jesus preach good news? Absolutely. We learned in Mark also that he, he, right from the very beginning, he preached repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did he bind up the brokenhearted? Yes, both literally and figuratively, right? The dead are, are raised, blind people are given their sight. Those who are downtrodden, like the widow we read about earlier, in our New Testament reading, they're bound up. Jesus cares for their souls. Does he proclaim liberty to the captives, to those who are in prison? Yes, but if we look back at Isaiah 61, what's the context? Where, are, where is Israel? They're in captivity, right? First to the Babylonians, then to the Assyrians. They would eventually be let go for a short time by the Persians, Uh, only to be resubjugated by the Greeks and the Romans later on. But there's a a sense in which Christ is is going to free them from that captivity as well, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But he also brings sight to the blind. Many places we have Jesus recorded miraculously giving sight back to the blind. As Luke later adds, he brings the dead back to life. These are these resurrection stories that we have been focusing on ever since Easter. Now, Jesus does these in miraculous ways, right? He does things that many of us would consider impossible. Impossible to bring people back from the dead. If you've ever had anyone die uh, who in your life, um, you know, this, these are the things you you wish would, would happen, but oftentimes you know, we don't see resurrections like that. But the, these are miraculous. We don't see people being, their, their sight being brought back to them after they've been blind, either for part of their lives or, or the whole of their lives. And they seem impossible, right? But there's deeper meanings to each one of these proclamations that is being made in Isaiah 61. I'll just give you an example from, uh, you know, Mark, when Jesus heals the paralytic, right? And Jesus says what? What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk when you've been paralyzed your entire life? Now, most of us would say get up and walk is the harder thing to say. But Jesus knows that the more miraculous thing is that a sinful man or woman could be forgiven of their sins. 
So each one of these things that Jesus good, pr- did, preaching good news, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives, bringing blind, uh, sight to the blind, and raising the dead back to life. There's deeper meanings to all of it. There's things that, that in his ministry, you know, those were shadows of, of greater truths that we need to remember and think about as well. We also have to remember that the arrival of Christ was to bring gladness to the people. Actually, I'll just read it from the text itself. But in verses 2 and 3, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress. I tend to think of a wedding here instead of ashes or garments for a funeral. To give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. So to be anointed for a celebratory reason instead of, again, maybe a funeral. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. These are the rival of Christ is to bring gladness to his people. It's going to give them rescue from exile. Not just physical exile against Rome or even, you know, earlier, if we take the earlier context from Isaiah, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Persians, but a deeper sort of freedom that one can get only spiritually. Freedom from our bondage and sin. We also need to remember that an argument is made and is well made that we are grafted into Israel and these promises are ours. We are grafted in to Israel, as Paul says. And so there's an already and not yet reality to the promises that are given right here by the servant to Israel to us as Gentiles as well. And all this is going to result in us becoming oaks of righteousness. As it says in verse 3, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Kenny, my son, is he's for school, he's memorizing Psalm 1. And so I was, you know, at my dinner table typing out the sermon and I had read that particular part to him and, and we both kind of thought about it together and, and immediately saw the parallel between this passage right here and Psalm 1. Kenny, uh, you know, like I said, it's wonderful to hear your son quoting scripture um, and thinking about scripture, but we lo- he loves this passage and is he over there or did he end up going back? He went back, didn't he? Okay. Yeah, he's going to miss out. <laughs> but he likes to quote this, this passage. Uh, but it says in Psalm 1, he is like a tree that is the blessed man, right? Compares the blessed man to the wicked man. But it's like he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So the result of Isaiah 61, the result of us being identified with Jesus, 
means that we're going to live a new life now. You know, we have this imagery of, of being like a tree that's planted by a stream of water, a strong tree. In the Hebrew, I think it's a terebinth tree. It's not just an oak, but, you know, we use oaks here in, in the United States in, in English because those are the, the trees we associate with, with being strong, strong trees, right? But we're going to be like a strong tree planted by the water. We're going to act in righteousness and do the Lord's will. And this is where I come back to baptism and resurrection reality. So let's talk about that for a moment. While our baptism is different than Jesus' baptism, in the sense that Jesus is being anointed, he's not doing it for, uh, you know, he's in the sense that it's, it's an ordinance which signifies our death, burial, resurrection uh, into new life, uh, where we're released from the burden of sin, and Jesus has no sin, so he's not doing it as a baptism from repentance from sin. It is similar in some ways, in the sense that the going down into the water, the coming back up, is a signification of death, burial, and resurrection to new life. And we are united to him in it. So, in a sense, if you've been baptized, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've publicly displayed that by being baptized here or wherever you grew up uh, in, in your church tradition, you are associated with Christ and, in a sense, you have been resurrected, spiritually speaking. And in that sense, very similar sense, we are anointed like Christ was anointed to do his work in the world. Now, many of us probably won't experience doing miraculous deeds like Jesus did, right? In the sense of, I'm going to bring someone physically who is dead back to life. I'm not going to restore someone's sight if they've been blind their whole life. Although I do believe that in certain circumstances in the world, God still uses miraculous things like that. He still does miraculous things like that. But we are anointed to do his work in the world, to preach good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And when I was talking about those deeper truths, bringing sight to the blind, right? Those who are spiritually blind and can't see their own spiritual deadness, we can bring sight back to them through the preaching of his word. And in a sense, we are tools in the hands of God to bring life into situations where people are dead, spiritually dead. So in our resurrected, spiritually resurrected life, we are called to do, we are anointed to do the work of Jesus in the world. We heard earlier in the text from Daniel, that there is going to be a resurrection for all people. Some people will be brought back in a resurrection to eternal joy and salvation in Christ, and others will be brought back to a resurrection of shame and condemnation. I ask you, what camp are you in today? Where are you? 
in your spiritual journey uh, with Christ. If indeed you have given your life to Christ, you're obedient to him and you're doing the things that we talked about here. You are bringing sight to the blind. You are bringing the dead back to life, spiritually speaking. You're doing the work of Christ in this world. Then you're doing well. And I would encourage you to continue to do those works, to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted. I, I'm not naive enough to believe that, there are, that everyone in this room is in that camp. Some of you haven't given your lives to Christ. You haven't submitted to him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I would plead with you today to do that. Repent and believe. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right there for you to grab. I pray that the Holy Spirit does a work in your life today to convict you, one, of your sin, of your need for salvation, so that you, when you are resurrected, are not resurrected to shame and condemnation, but to life everlasting in Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you again uh, for the privilege of, of coming up and, and speaking your word. I pray that, again, you would use the words that I've said today to affect the lives of your people in their daily lives, whether it's at work, at school, at home, in all the places that they influence. I pray that they would be doing your work on a daily basis. Father, I pray for those in this room who have not given their lives to you. Truly, any work of resurrection, any work of regeneration in anyone's heart cannot be done by any person in this room. It has to be done by your Holy Spirit. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would be doing work in the lives of the people who are here. Lord, I sense right now that there are some people here who think that they are beyond saving. Obliterate that in their mind. No matter how far in life they are, what they've done, where they've been, Lord, I pray that you would break barriers in their hearts, in their minds, and help them to submit to you as their Lord, as their King, and as their Savior who cares about them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Durkytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkytown, please visit our website at www.durkytown.org.